During my recent sabbatical, I read a book by Bruce Barcott that has the subtitle, Beauty and Terror on Mount Rainier. And I'm sure you can imagine what the author meant by that. As people who are so conscious of the mountain's presence every day, whether we see it through the clouds or not, we know that beauty and terror coexist in that wild landscape that dominates the horizon. Looking to the southeast on a day like today or any clear day, the, the raw beauty of the mountain is enough to take our breath away. We can be burdened with all kinds of stress or, or angry at the gridlock on I-5 or processing any number of things in our lives and stewing about them and just a glimpse of that mountain sometimes just breaks that open, breaks open our little world for a moment and gives us a healing dose of renewal. If I were to choose a word to describe this, it would be awe, because that is what we feel and experience when we encounter something that is infinitely greater than ourselves. In the introduction to her book called The Great Unconformity, Alaskan author Kate Troll writes, I live with a profound sense of awe and wonder in the presence of the mountains, rivers, and oceans. And it is only by immersing myself, she says, headlong into the wilderness that I know I belong to something much vaster than my career. In his own effusive manner, John Muir wrote, Nevermore, however weary, should one faint by the way who gains the blessings of one mountain day. Muir goes on to write about the healing power of the wilderness when he says, choked in the sediments of society, so tired of the world, here will your doubts disappear. Your carnal incrustations melt off and your soul breathe deep and free in God's shoreless atmosphere of beauty and love. That is what I call awe. But the fuller definition of awe includes all kinds of other thoughts and experiences and feelings that come to us when we encounter something that is infinitely greater than ourselves. And that is made clear in the dictionary definition of the word awe, which equates it not only with great admiration, but also great apprehension and fear. And then listen to the diverse list of synonyms for awesome, which the dictionary provides. Magnificent, wonderful, amazing, but also fearsome dreadful, and of course, awful. When I read that, I was brought back to that thought of beauty and terror coexisting in the wilderness. Yes, in the case with Mount Rainier and other wilderness areas, it is magnificent, wonderful, amazing. But at the same time, because it is wild, it is fearsome. I'm dreaded, and in many cases for people awful because of death that has been experienced on the mountain. 
when I climbed up to Camp Muir a few weeks ago, which is the base for people ready to go up to the summit, I really saw that fear, especially in the faces of some people who were maybe doing this for the first time and getting that far, and maybe people who'd read the end of Bruce Barcott's book or another one like it, where he says, so many lives have been poured into the mountains, lakes, forests, and glaciers, that Rainier stands as the region's greatest burial ground. It is no wonder, then, that human beings have done their best over time to eliminate truly wild places from the planet. To a large degree, that is the history of non-native people in North America and in our country. From the first Europeans who came to all the waves of immigrants that have come after pushing further and further into the land. This stems, of course, from the need to have a place to live. But I would say that it also is very deeply connected to our fear of the unknown as human beings. We don't like to feel vulnerable and to be vulnerable. One American settler in the early 1600s described wilderness around him as a dark and dismal place where all manner of beasts dash about uncooked. <laughs> For centuries, that has been the dominant view, however stated. So it is no surprise that people spend a great deal of time and energy and resources trying to conquer and subdue and tame the wilderness. And sadly, we have been highly successful. By the time I was born, most of America's truly wild places were gone. And that is when we began finally to pay more attention to prophetic voices like those of John Muir, who had argued passionately for a new approach. What Muir had seen so clearly, I think, is that we human beings actually need wilderness more than we will ever know. We need to be put in our place in a magnificent and a fearsome way. We need to stand in awe of power that is infinitely greater than our own. And we do need to learn time and time again that vulnerability is just a fundamental part of the created order. From the witness of Scripture, we know that God has seen this clearly from the very beginning. And that is obvious in all of our three readings today. Consider, for example, God's choice to lead a whole community of freed slaves out into the wilderness, not just for a few days or months, but for 40 years, and then to lead Jesus immediately out into the wilderness after his baptism. We often talk about this in metaphorical ways, remembering that wilderness can mean a lot of things in Scripture. But we should never forget that those also are real places with real mountains and real deserts and real threats and real wild beasts roaming about. For the Jews in the wilderness of Sinai, that created conditions for a truly awesome experience in every sense of that word when you read the full account of their journey in the wilderness. 
you learn that it was magnificent and wonderful and amazing, but also fearsome and dreadful. The wilderness led them to see the glory of God in ways that I don't think they had ever experienced before. But it also exposed their vulnerability in ways that drove them to great apprehension and fear. Maybe God knew that that was the only way that they would ever truly learn to trust, that God would provide what they need. After hiking in the breathtakingly beautiful wilderness around Mount Denali this summer, I'm also imagining what it was like for Jesus to be sent out on his own by himself for 40 days. There weren't grizzlies in that part of the world. But if we don't think that Jesus was afraid, sent out among the wild beasts, then we don't think he's human. It's part of who we are to sense that vulnerability. But there they were, creatures in the wilderness, together, learning what it means to coexist, what it means to be together in this reign of God where every part of creation is dependent on the health of the whole. And the more I think about that, the more I appreciate St. Paul's stirring words in that letter to the Romans that we also read today. Paul doesn't single out the needs of any one creature or any one part of creation when he says that we long for freedom. Paul says all creation groans together, hoping and longing to be free. I don't know how you hear that, but for me it really does point not only to the truth that we need the wilderness, but that the wilderness does need us. Yes, we as human beings are vulnerable in many ways, and we long for freedom from the forces that threaten us. But we also have awesome power that the wilderness does not have. We know how to use our votes, our voice, our passion, our determination to pursue what we want. We know how to use our power and our influence and our privilege to pursue things that we think are just and right. But what about the wilderness? Can mountains write letters to politicians pleading with them to adopt legislation that protects their well-being? Can rivers write letters to senators or send money to organizations that are committed to preserving their well-being? Can old-growth trees march together to demand justice? Or can salmon organize themselves in some kind of resistance movement to the ways that land, which is a part of their fragile ecosystem, is being taken away acre by acre each year? In truth, the wilderness is just as vulnerable as we are. And if the mountains and the rivers and the salmon and the trees could reason like we do and see us and what we mean to them, imagine the terror that they would feel. 
But in us too, there is breathtaking beauty. In us, there is the capacity to love unselfishly. And there is the capacity to act compassionately on behalf of vulnerable creatures and of all in God's family. And in us, as human beings created in God's image, there is this light of Christ within us, which empowers us to use our God-given gifts as he did for the sake of the other. As I go on my way on this breathtakingly beautiful day, I have to say that that is what gives me hope more than anything else and leads me to say again with all of you, thanks be to God. Amen. If you